Welcome to Star Wars Comics and Canon. The Force is strong with this one. Hello there and welcome to Star Wars Comics in Canon, your guide to the wider Star Wars canon through the comic book lens. And to take you on this journey, I'm your host, Mike Burton. And so brings episode 76, the Halloween special. So guys, I hope you enjoyed that little intro I put together as a bit of fun to do. And so today we are tackling something, a couple of new things actually. So it's actually the first canon comic I'm tackling from IDW Publishing. Uh, they are the Star Wars Adventures comics, and these ones are Tales from Vader's Castle. So they're basically five comics, they've got four anthology stories within them, and there's also one continuous story that goes throughout, and then the kind of fifth one finishes it all off. So it's quite a fun way of doing things. There's lots of little connections here to not only horror films, but also Star Wars content as per standard. Um, so I'm quite excited to speak about this, and you know, once I've caught up with all the other canon Marvel comics, which I'm not far from now, I know that once I've caught up with War of the Bounty Hunters and done a few other bits, I think there's the Poe Dameron comics I need to do as well. So probably by like mid next year i presume i'll have probably caught up with pretty much all the canon stuff that's in marvel so i'm going to then delve into more idw publishing things um i know that high republic adventures there they are idw publishing as well and they are absolutely excellent and i will be tackling them next year when i kind of embark on the high republic comics both the marvel ones and the idw ones but star wars adventures is generally speaking aimed for a younger audience so whenever you see star wars and the word adventures after it you know that it is a little bit more uh, kid friendly let's say so these horror stories although they are you know somewhat spooky and they've got a lot of connections to more adult content and things they are suitable for all ages which you know it's a bit of fun and i know that the majority of star wars adventures comics are like anthologies as well so there's like one or two issues that might be a little story but generally speaking each issue is its own thing um there's a few batches of stuff which isn't you've got i think there's the han and chewie smugglers run i think there's luke skywalker weapon of the jedi uh there's obviously these tales from vader's castle and there's three batches of these so there's tales from vader's castle return to vader's castle and then ghosts of vader's castle uh so i don't know when i'll be tackling the next two i don't think i'm going to wait another year before them i think maybe halfway through next year i'll do return to vader's castle and then for halloween next year maybe i'll do ghosts of it kind of depends if Kevin scott's going to release a fourth batch because if he does do that then i might try and do the other two before halloween and then tackle the halloween ones you know at halloween but i'll cross that bridge when i come to it in the future and see how you guys kind of view all these but that's a general sort of background and things and i want to clarify they are all still canon although they are slightly more kid friendly there is some quite cool stuff in here as well that i find is interesting so um let's get right into it so issue number one was released the 3rd of October 2018 and the fifth issue was released the 31st of October 2018. So these Tales from Vader's Castle comics, they always come out once a week in October. That's what happened this year with the Ghosts of Vader's Castle as well, um, which I think is quite a cool thing too. Uh, the trade paperback collection of these five comics was released in May 2019 and then there's actually a hardcover collection which is called Beware of Vader's Castle which includes all of these stories as well as the sequel stories which is Return to Vader's Castle. The writer for all of these stories, as well as all of the Vader's Castle run, is Cavan Scott. Then the artist for this is actually Derek Charm. However, he does the artwork and the colour work for the sort of main continuous story that I'll establish when we get into the first comic. Whereas for each of the sort of flashbacks or the actual horror tales, in a sense, that are in the first four issues, those are done by guest artists. Now, there is like a little three-page flashbacky thing in the fifth issue as well, which does also have guest artists too but it's not such a big story. So I'm going to go through, when I get to each comic, I'm then going to tell you who the artists and stuff are because I'm not just going to reel them all off here for you now because there's like, you know, 10 or so. I will also clarify the connections when I get to that comic itself as well as where it falls in the timeline as in where the flashback does and a few other bits and pieces as well. And obviously, if you've never joined us on Star Wars Comics and Canon before, hello there, welcome. And uh, yeah, I'll go through the plot details of all of these things, uh, and then I'll also talk about some of the connections made and certain other bits and pieces. Most of these in this episode is actually, like, there's the odd planet here and there, but primarily it's characters that you kind of see, which is fun little things there. And as I said before, some horror references. 
So that mind, let's get on to the first issue. It's called The Haunting of the Ghost. It features Kanan and Hera from Star Wars Rebels. The flashback itself is set between 11 BBY and 3 BBY, which is before the Battle of Yavin. Um, so this takes place before the series, Star Wars Rebels, but after the book, A New Dawn, because A New Dawn is when Kanan and Hera met. And then at this point, they haven't met or seemingly haven't met some of the uh, entourage of the ghost crew that you already know in the first episode of Star Wars Rebels. So that's quite exciting in that regard. And then the actual continuous story that will be told, it's set somewhere in the original trilogy era. So it's going to be likely after A New Hope, which is zero years after the Battle of Yavin, and before Return of the Jedi, which is four years after the Battle of Yavin. So it's seemingly in that four-year period. The guest artist for comic number one is Chris Feneglio, and he also did the colour work as well. And also a bit of trivia for this one, so it's called The Haunting of the Ghost, and that is a nod to the gothic horror novel The Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson. I want to clarify, most of these references I did get, especially 2 and 3 I know very well, uh, but that one I did have to look up. Because <laughs> I, although I do really enjoy horror, I don't know all of it, unfortunately, but that would be delightful. So this first comic, normally, you know, I read out the crawl for you guys, but there isn't actually a crawl for this first comic. There's crawls for other ones, but they are just that sort of thing where it tells you what's going on in the story. So I'm not going to bother reading the crawl every time because you guys will know what the story is because I'll have explained it like two minutes before. But what I am going to do is read like there's a bit of dialogue here. There's like a degree of narration in certain bits and pieces here. Uh, if any of you regular listeners will know, I don't generally read out all the dialogue. I might read out like a little bit here and there of stuff that I think is really cool. But generally, I like to not read out dialogue and not explain big action scenes very much, just so if you did want to pick up these comics, you can and still get something out of them. But I think that the first few lines of dialogue or narration works quite well in a similar way that a crawl would. So I am going to read those out for this first one. And I do want to clarify as well, because this is IDW publishing, it's not on Marvel Unlimited, which is where all the other Star Wars comics I've tackled on this show thus far are found, so you have to find them elsewhere. I've got the physical copies of them, because I have the physical copies of all the Star Wars comics that I, well, all the canon ones, apart from all the other IDW ones that I don't have, but all the Marvel ones I've got physical copies of, but I normally keep the physical copies, read them when I get them, seal them up nicely, uh, take some photos for you guys that I post on social media, you know, at Genuine Chits Chat, and I put them on my Patreon normally a couple days early, but I then normally read on Marvel Unlimited while I'm going through the podcast, because obviously if I need to change pages on an iPad, it's, it's easy to do rather than, you know, having to make sure I edit out the sound of me turning a page. But with these ones, it is going to be page turning, which I'll try and edit out, but yeah, I don't know where you can read IDW stuff online. It might be on Hoopla, it might be on Comixology. I'm not overly familiar with IDW, if I'm being completely honest with you guys, aside from the High Republic Adventures comics, and these ones, I didn't even know they really existed until, you know, about a year or so ago, but... um. That's all rambly nonsense. Let's get straight into issue number one. So, from the journal of Lena Graff, head curator of the Graff Archive. Of all my adventures over the years, one still scares me, even to this day. When I was a child, I fought monsters, survived shipwrecks, and even crossed swords with imperial governors. I thought I could handle anything. I thought nothing could ever scare me again. I was wrong. So that's what I would say serves as the crawl, but I'm just going to read a little bit more here because it just introduces the characters and it's a bit easier to do it this way. So. By now, I was a commander in the Rebel Alliance, Lena Graf, ace pilot, an engineer, afraid of nothing. Then there was Skrit, technician, afraid of everything. Lieutenant Hud was a thief-turned-rebel. He had a big mouth, but his heart was in the right place, most of the time. XMG3 was a former bodyguard droid and the muscle of my ragtag crew. CR8R, pronounced Crater, was there as well, my constant companion since I was a kid, and as cranky as the day he was activated. So that's a nice little introduction to them, and a bit more information about Lena Graf. She was born 28 years before the Battle of Yavin, which is about four years after Phantom Menace, so about six years before Attack of the Clones. And these seem to take place between 0 ABY and 4 ABY, so we can assume she's about 28 to maybe 32. She's a human character, and she is in several other IDW comics, I think that are written by Kevin Scott as well. In the Adventures comics, there's Adventures in Wild Space, and then she's in, I think, most of the other Vader's Castle ones, and a few other bits and pieces as well. But from what I can see, she hasn't appeared in the canon anywhere aside from the IDW publishing comics. 
And all the other characters were self-explanatory. You know, HUD, he was a human, and then there were two droids. But the character called Skrit is a Peasle, P-E-A-S-L-E. And it's like a giant cockroach almost. I mean, the artwork in this, especially in the continuous story, is a little bit more cutesy than the normal sort of grittier Marvel comics sort of style. You know, I'd almost say it's like the polar opposite of the Bounty Hunters stuff that I tackled last week. So if you imagine like a two or maybe three foot tall cockroach thing, bug, that is scared of everything. It's kind of like a woodlouse, actually, because it does crawl into like a little ball and woodlouse, pillbug. There's lots of different names for them. But those tiny little creatures that are grey, that, you know, when they get scared, they go into a little ball. Those sort of things, that's kind of what Skrit is, like a giant one of those, but orange and cutesy. So interesting. I don't think Peasles are in canon much elsewhere aside from in IDW stuff once again. So the story starts off with the ship that Lena Graf and her crew are in are getting shot at by some TIE fighters. So they manage to evade some, shoot a couple, and then they need to land because they need to make repairs to their ship and just get out of the way of all of these TIE fighters. So they decide to hide on a nearby planet, which is Mustafar. Now you guys should know Mustafar, that's where Obi-Wan and Anakin fought, where the big climax of Revenge of the Sith happens, and then in the Darth Vader comics that I recently tackled, in fact the final arc of the Vader comics, which I think was two or three episodes ago, which was the Fortress Vader arc that I did, that is all about Vader building the fortress, which obviously as this comic series is called Tales from Vader's Castle, it's fairly clear that this is where they go. So it's really interesting, I didn't necessarily plan it this way, but it works out quite well that if you guys have been listening to like every episode, then a couple episodes ago you hear how the fortress was built and now you get people going there nearly two decades later. So they land on Mustafar and Crater mentions a story that was told to him by Chopper. Now Chopper is C1-10P and he's called Chop because if you write that down it in caps and things it looks like the word Chop because the, the two ones with a hyphen between them looks like an H. He's a droid who's been around since at least the Clone Wars era. He's first seen in Star Wars Rebels, that's when we were first introduced to him, but in the storyline in-universe, the first time we know of him existing was in The Bad Batch. So he's a droid, imagine R2-D2, but a little bit loopy and a little bit more dangerous in some ways. I mean, R2-D2 does have quite the body count, but I think Chopper has like the highest body count of almost any beings that are good, in air quotes, in the whole of Star Wars, excluding Luke, who obviously, you know, blew up the Death Star, uh, and you know, Lando slash Wedge who blew up the Death Star 2. I think they might have some more. But aside from that, Chopper has a very, very high body count. But uh, yeah, so this story obviously shows that Crater knows Chopper. So let's get into it. It starts off with Hera and Kanan from Star Wars Rebels. In brief, Kanan was a Jedi at the time of Order 66. His master, Depa Bilaba, who can be seen in the Clone Wars a little bit, and you also seen her at the end ceremony in The Phantom Menace. And as I said, he was like a child in Order 66. He shows up at the start of the Bad Batch, actually. And he then has to hide the fact that he's a Jedi for many, many years. And then Star Wars Rebels, you kind of see more of his journey kind of coming to terms of being a Jedi. He is actually probably my favorite Jedi ever alongside Obi-Wan and Ahsoka, to be honest. I love him. And so that's why I always tell people to watch Star Wars Rebels. Now, Hera is a Twi'lek. She's from Ryloth. As I said, she's in the Clone Wars and she's also in the Bad Batch briefly. And also her dad is a guy called Cham Syndulla. Cham Syndulla is actually in the Clone Wars quite a lot. He's in the Ryloth arc, which is the penultimate arc before the end of series one of the Clone Wars. I'm pretty certain he does show up again in Clone Wars once or twice, but I know that he does reappear in Rebels. And as I said slightly earlier, Hera and Kanan meet in A New Dawn, which is a book. It was one of the first books in the new canon, actually. And that was set at 11 BBY. And then Hera also does show up in Star Wars Squadrons, the video game. And also the ship, the Ghost, which is in this little story, that's also the main ship they fly in Star Wars Rebels. You can actually see it for a few moments in The Rise of Skywalker at that big battle at the end. So it's a very cool ship. And I will say that Star Wars Rebels is my favorite animated show of Star Wars. So if you're listening to this and you haven't checked out Star Wars Rebels, even if you haven't watched The Clone Wars, go watch Star Wars Rebels. Only four seasons. It's incredible. So you've got Kanan, Hera, and Chopper. They are looking for a contact and they manage to find the contact's ship. But the ship is deserted. So they kind of look around and trying to figure things out. And then this green spark gives Hera like a slight shock. And then it zooms out and shows that this green shock then bounces to the ghost ship. They then manage to find an escape pod which has their contact in, which is someone called Grayson. And he is saying that the ship is haunted and he's very freaked out. He said he shot off in the escape pod to get away from his haunted ship. Then the lights flicker off and the bay doors then open. 
Kanan is almost sucked out into space, but Chopper just manages to close the doors in time. Because where they are at the moment, they fly to like a location and then yeah, they find the ship on like an asteroid field. So yeah, they're still in space and whatnot. So Hera and Chopper then go to the bridge while Kanan stays with Grayson, who is getting more and more freaked out as this goes on. The doors then all close on the ghost and are basically locking people in, and it happened just as Kanan and Grayson were going through a doorway. Kanan managed to like avoid getting crushed by the doors, but he dropped his lightsaber on the other side. While this is happening, this green light thing seems to possess Chopper. So this possessed being is talking to Hera and Chopper actually then attacks Hera as in still being possessed like shocks her and things. She falls to the floor but is still conscious and this being that has possessed Chopper says that he used to be an all-powerful being, he could bend the force to his will and then the Jedi strip them of their physical form and trap them. While this is happening, Kanan uses the force to levitate his lightsaber on the other side of this door, ignite it, and then use it to cut a hole in the door from the other side so that him and Grayson can get through. Back to Hera and Chopper, it shows that there was a holocron that Kanan was kind of somewhat fiddling with at the very start of this comic, and is now on the floor. So Hera is telling the possessed Chopper to not go near the holocron because if this being possesses it, they'll have like ultimate power and things, and so the spirit immediately goes into this holocron. As that happens, Kanan enters the bridge and then manages to trap the spirit in the holocron. So a holocron is something which is in Star Wars, it was in Legend a huge amount from what I can remember. However, in the canon, there is, it is in, you know, bits and pieces, it's in the Clone Wars, there's like a whole episode called Holocron Heist, it's in Star Wars Rebels a fair amount. It's basically, I describe it as almost like a Jedi USB stick that also has like a mini projector on it. So it's something that just holds information. It depends on the holocron itself. Some of them come in squares or like dodecahedrons, basically like generally quite flat shapes or rounded in essence. Whereas a Sith holocron is generally quite pointy. I think from what we've seen in the canon, the Sith holocrons are pretty much always like triangular prisms, um, like little pyramid shapes. Whereas the Jedi ones are primarily squares or as I said, like several sided shapes that's kind of almost in a sense what like a football looks like as in an English football or for Americans like a soccer ball that kind of thing but a lot more sort of flat and rigid so these things hold a lot of data there's one holocron that has got like a recording of Obi-Wan telling all the Jedi to not go near the temple there's other holocrons that have got Jedi who like record lessons they've learned in the force or just telling people messages and things there is a holocron as well, which I recall, I think you open it up and inside is like a, a data crystal in there. It's like a kyber crystal in essence with information on. And that kyber crystal had the names of four sensitive children that the Jedi knew about. And that's something that Palpatine's been trying to get for a long time. That's part of the plot in the game Star Wars Jedi Fallen Order. Uh, it's in the Clone Wars, I believe, Series 2, I think. It's holocron heist, uh, end of Series 1, start of Series 2, from what I can remember off the top of my head. So they do show up quite a lot in the new canon here and there but the explanation of what they are you get like one or two sentences every time they pop up so you kind of have to consume loads of content to really understand but once again i think star wars rebels gives the best idea and understanding of what holocrons are what they can do and even goes into some detail of what sith holocrons are like which is it's quite cool too and also holocrons can only be opened up by a force user from what i understand the sith holocrons can only be opened up by someone who uses the dark side and then a jedi holocron can be opened up by a force user i think it's meant to be someone who uses the light side of the force but that element is a little bit hazy because most dark side users can also use the light side of the force so a little bit up in the air that sort of element but you can only open them if you are a force user at all there, there seemingly is no other way to open them so when this spirit whatever it was gets trapped in this holocron kanan then closes it and then obviously the spirit can't open it and no one else seemingly can and that's where that little flashbacky kind of story ends. And I want to clarify over these things. Obviously, I'm doing this as a little Halloween special, talking about spooky stories. But as an adult, they're not that spooky or that scary. Obviously, they're meant for all ages. There's some really cool ideas in there. And there is one part in the next story that is a bit freaky, but visually is the most scary part. You know, me just telling you what happens. You know, I could almost ruin any horror film. You know, even the scariest horror films, if I read out to you the plot, it's not going to be scary, really. Uh, so I know there's like the idea of sitting around a campfire and telling spooky stories and things but that is obviously not what i'm doing this is comics are very much a visual medium but i'm doing this because it's halloween it's fun lots of little connections and i've been meaning to read these for a while so it's a good excuse 
So anyway, that story of Kanan and Hera finishes, and then it shows Lena Graf's crew, and they are leaving the ship that's on Mustafar. The hull is starting to melt on things, and the ship seems to fall into some lava after the crew get out. They can see that Vader's castle is in the background. I don't believe they actually know it's Vader's castle. They just see this big foreboding building that's there, this big pointy structure, and think that's the only place we'll be able to go to save ourselves from this heat and to potentially get off this planet. They can see that the castle is heavily guarded by stormtroopers, and Lena tells her crew that's where we have to go, and that is where the first comic ends. So the second comic is called Count Dooku, Prince of Darkness. Now that is a reference to the film Dracula, Prince of Darkness, which has Sir Christopher Lee in it. And Sir Christopher Lee played Dracula in a multitude of Hammer horror films, and obviously he's very famous for being Dracula, and obviously Sir Christopher Lee is who played Count Dooku in the prequels and things. I think he voiced him in the Clone Wars movie as well. So it's a nice little nod there. And the theme of this one is to do with Dracula-esque sort of stuff as well, which is quite interesting. So I really like that connection by Kevin Scott. The guest artist for issue number two is Kelly Jones, and the guest colour artist is Michelle Madsen. This story is set between 20 years before the Battle of Yavin and 19 years before the Battle of Yavin. So it's the final year of the Clone Wars, it seems. And the Clone Wars went on for like three years, so... Lena Graf and her crew, they remove their rebel insignias so they can go up to this big castle, and HUD gets covered by two like creatures. They're like the lava of a moth or other creatures is normally like, you know, maggots or like I mean a caterpillar, technically speaking, is almost like a larval form of a butterfly in really, really broad strokes. But it's that sort of thing, you know, it's like a, a spineless caterpillar or like a maggot, that sort of thing. But it's quite big, it's like the size of a small dog. So there's two of these climbing over this guy and he's freaking out a little bit and then they look up and see this gigantic beast. And next to the beast is another gigantic beast. And so it seems that these beasts are the parents of these two larvae that are stuck on HUD. Without much discussion, the bodyguard droid XMG3 shoots at one of these parent creatures and it just shoots his head clean off. Then there seems to be some sort of chemical reaction going on and this creature explodes and goo goes everywhere. It then is confirmed by Crater that it seems like that was actually a defense mechanism because when that explosion happened, the other bugs, the other parent, as well as the two larvae, are now just gone, it seems. So... Yeah, it was kind of like maybe a defense mechanism for a creature that was going to die anyway, it just, they explode. And this event makes HUD tell a story of his own. He mentions a planet called Bray, the planet of eternal night. So Bray is named after Bray Studios, which is this studio who produced the 1966 Dracula movie. So that's another fun little connection there. But Bray doesn't seem to appear elsewhere in the canon. But this flashback, as I said, the final year of the Clone Wars, and it stars Obi-Wan Kenobi, Adi Gallia, and Dooku. Now, you should know, obviously, Obi-Wan and Dooku, but Adi Gallia is a Tholothian, and she actually is in the Clone Wars series, but she gets killed by Darth Maul. So this obviously takes place before that happened. So Obi-Wan and Addy head to Bray upon the request of the Jedi Council, and they come to some of the locals who tell them that the Citadel of Light has gone dark. There's an unknown Dark Lord who seems to turn the power off and things, and is basically just causing trouble for them, so they want some help. Then some Minox attack. Now, a Minox you actually get to see in Empire Strikes Back. When the Millennium Falcon lands in the Exogorth, which is the giant space slug, or what? and Exogorth, I should say. It's not the only one. There are loads of them. But when they land in there and then the ship you know, rocks and stuff, they go outside and these flying weird bat thingies kind of cling onto the ship and freak out Leia a little bit. Those things are Minox. They actually feed on ship's power. So they chew cables and that sort of thing to get energy. That's seemingly how they survive. But yeah, these Minox are attacking and they seem especially aggressive. And Commander Cody is there as well, who is the clone trooper who is someone who's always connected to Obi-Wan in the Clone Wars. And he's actually one of the ones that shoots at Obi-Wan when Order 66 happens, when Obi-Wan is on top of the female Varactyl named Boga. Uh, you know, he's climbing up the walls and things, heading to try and win this war. And then they shoot like a big cannon at him and then Obi-Wan falls and there's a whole montage of Order 66. So Commander Cody, that's him. That's the guy. You can spot him. He looks a little bit different to normal clones because he's got a bit of orange on him. That's the <laughs> defining thing that makes him look a bit different. But yeah, so Cody's there, Obi-Wan's there, there's a couple of other stormtroopers and Adi Gallia, but one of the clone troopers who is called Peel gets scratched. Now, Peel doesn't seem to appear elsewhere in the canon. So they go to their ship, and it looks like Peel has become infected. He starts kind of chewing on these cables and things in the ship, and he turns around and he's got the head of like a bat thing. It's pretty freaky. 
Before he can attack, Cody then stuns him, and so Obi-Wan and Adi Gallia decide they should head into the Citadel to try and see if we can find a cure in some way. So they go around, they look around and things, and they find Dooku, who shows what's caused all these things, which is the, in air quotes, host called Ravna, the Lord of Darkness. So Ravna seems to be almost like a were-bat thing, in a sense. Imagine like a six or seven foot bat that is sentient, that also looks a little bit like a Minoc. It's quite bizarre looking, but obviously it's a homage to especially the older vampire films when vampires could turn into bats and things. Obviously in modern day, that doesn't seem to happen quite as frequently, but that's the obvious connection there. So Obi-Wan ignites his lightsaber and then Ravna absorbs the energy from the lightsaber, rendering it temporarily useless. Ravna pushes Obi-Wan to the floor and then Adi Gallia goes to attack, who is then electrocuted by Count Dooku. Ravna then questions the power in Count Dooku, says maybe he should feed on Dooku, and Dooku mentions about their agreement, which is in essence, Ravna will infect some people, and then once they get a clone infected, what they can do is drop a couple of infected clones behind enemy lines during the Clone Wars, and then all of the clones will eventually get infected, and that will make Dooku win the war. Well, the Separatists win the war. Ravna and Dooku have a bit of back and forth and things, and Ravna's like, well, I don't want you to be able to take over the galaxy in your name. If I'm going to take over the galaxy, I want everyone to know it was me who did it. So then they basically go to fight, and Ravna scratches Dooku, who then turns into a being, in essence, um, who's got like very sharp teeth, and his eyes go all crazy, and his face starts to get furry, and he grabs one of his own separatist droids and starts to like eat the cables and things. Ravna then commands Dooku to feed on the Jedi, and Dooku then obeys. Obi-Wan, who is still on the floor after being, like, he's kind of half being crushed by Ravna's weight, he starts to goad Dooku. He starts to, like, yell at him and mock him and say how weak Dooku is from being, like, controlled by something and all that sort of stuff. And it angers Dooku, but it breaks him free of Ravna's control for just a few moments. He then uses his uh, Force Lightning to electrocute all the creatures, and they start feeding off the electricity. And Dooku said, you know, while they're distracted, do something. So Obi-Wan and Adi Gallia use the Force to collapse the Citadel. They like run out of the room and go outside, try and sort of locate where the weaker structure parts of the Citadel are, and try and tear it down. So the Citadel collapses, the people inside seem to get buried, which is Ravna, some Separatists, and Dooku. Dooku manages to narrowly kind of escape and get out, but the curse seems to be broken, and Dooku turns back to normal, so does the clone Peel, and it seems like everything is all fine and happy. Ravna seemingly becomes this like urban legend, and then the final panel of that flashback of the comic sees Ravna's clawed hand kind of crawl out, like pull out of the wreckage. So it cuts to now and present with the continuous story, and one little line I quite liked was that the Peasel called Skrit was quite scared of the story, but the bodyguard droid XMG3 says he really likes scary stories, which just made me laugh a little bit when I was reading it, of just this giant hulking bodyguard droid just saying, I like scary stories. <laughs> it just made me giggle. But the crew get nearer Fortress Vader, and the final panels show that the stormtroopers spot them and then immediately start opening fire. So moving on to issue number three, it is called The Brer Witch, uh, obviously reference to The Blair Witch, uh, which is a very interesting horror film. It's one of the first ones I ever watched. It really freaked me out. And then when I watched it quite recently, it did not have the same impact, let's put it that way. And Megan wasn't a fan either, um, but it's quite a cool movie. It's quite short, actually. It's only like 65 or 70 minutes or so. I'd say it's worth a watch, but you've got to kind of like turn all the lights off, sit in absolute silence and watch the whole thing. But um, obviously that's the reference that this is to. The flashback story is set between two years before the Battle of Yavin and zero years before the Battle of Yavin, so it's like a couple years before Han gets involved with the Rebellion in A New Hope. The guest artist for this one is Corin Howell, and the guest colour artist is Valentina Pinto. So continuing with the story, Lena and her crew are getting shot at by the stormtroopers, so they manage to evade them by XMG3, the big bodyguard droid, basically takes care of all of them. Not overly sure why all the stormtroopers just decide to swarm this one droid while everyone else bails, but obviously it's a young audience comic, and it is quite cool watching this bodyguard like climbing over like the bodies of stormtroopers, it's, it's quite mental. Bud picks the lock at the entrance of Vader's castle, and then Skrit is scared, so... Lena tells Skrit another story. It starts with a woman who is trying to get this statuette of a Tuka taken to a planet called Rendal. So a Tuka, I've mentioned it before in the show, it's basically the cats in Star Wars. They're a feline species. Uh, you see them in Star Wars Rebels. You see like cuddly toys of Tukas in Clone Wars and quite a few other places. Uh, you actually get to see Tukas in the Mandalorian as well. 
a subspecies of Tuca is Lothcat, and it's just a Tuca on Lothal. As far as I can tell, they're the same as Tuca, they just look slightly different, but there we go. So it's basically just a cat in Star Wars. So yeah, this woman's trying to give this statue out, trying to offer people like a million credits to do it. No one's really taking it because the moon of Rendell is cursed. And who takes it? Han and Chewie. Mainly Han. Chewie is not overly happy with this. So they get to this moon Rendell and Han mentions a couple of places, Ashru and Vandor. So Vandor is in Solo. Um, it was in Legends before. It was in a role-playing game and it was in the source book of that. So that's where it was initially created. I think that was in the 90s. It's one planet that it has several biomes. So in Solo, you first see it when they do that heist with Beckett and Emphis Nest appears and then makes the heist go wrong, which results in the death of both of Tobias's colleagues, Thandie Newton's character called Val and John Favreau's character, an Ardinian called Rio Durant. And then after the heist goes wrong, I thought that they went to another planet, but it turns out they don't. You get Dryden Voss's yacht goes to where they are, they speak to Dryden Voss, and then they go to a bar called The Lodge, which is still on Vandor, and that's where they meet Lando Calrissian and L337. So Vandor has got several biomes, and I didn't realise how much of Solo took place in the planet, but that's Vandor, and it's where the Millennium Falcon is also clamped in the shipyard, and that gets confirmed how that happens in Lando Double or Nothing, which is a mini-series set just before Solo, which I tackled in episode 37 of Styles Comics and Canon, if you're interested by that. And then the other planet called Ashru, it's in a junior novel starring Chewbacca called Mighty Chewbacca in the Forest of Fear. I've not read that, but that's basically where it takes place. I know very, very vague details on it. I think it's like a Sith artifact of some sort, but those are the two planets that were named and that's what they are all about. So back to the story, you've got Han and Chewie walking on this planet and there's lots of giant vines and thorns and things. So they're trying to explore and things. They find a ship, which is from a friend of theirs called Karamu. Then they find Karamu's droid and the droid says to go and help Karamu and mentions like an emerald witch and then the droid kind of turns off in essence. And then Chewie is quite scared. So Han goes off without him. He travels through this forest of vines and things. And then he gets tripped by some vines, finds his friend Karamu, who's now like really, really old. Like you saw a little flashback of Karamu who seemed young-ish. I couldn't pin the species, but he seems young-ish. And then suddenly he looks like really, really, really old. Han is like, well, how long have you been here? And he's like, maybe a few hours, if that. And before Han can kind of figure anything else out, then some vines grab Han and he gets pulled up as well, just after like one of the flowers there then sprays him in the face. Then this witch bird lady appears, once again, don't know the species, and asks if her sister had hired Han. Han was like, I don't know what you're talking about. And the witch lady says that her sister locked her up when she was younger. Like She started to get these powers that started to come out, but her sister was the queen and was kind of worried about the sister. And this is all clearly a nod to Frozen. And Kevin Scott, I think, said in an interview that his daughters love Frozen. So although the name is kind of an on-the-nose thing to the Blair Witch, the plot itself takes influence from the Blair Witch as well as from Frozen and stuff. But yeah, these plants that Han and Karamu are now kind of held up by the vines and things, they are draining the life force from Han and Karamu. So Han starts to become really old as well. Then one of the vines kind of explodes and it shows that Chewie is shooting at them. And Han gets free and as they're kind of on the floor when all this stuff is going on and the witch starts to get angry, Han just throws that Tuka statue at the witch and it just explodes on her in like a spray of dust which then causes the plant, as well as this witch who's called Belen, to then sort of kind of slowly almost rot and become like dust and then just wither away and die. And they manage to escape, but then there's a tiny little flower plant bud on the Millennium Falcon. And that's where the flashbacky thing ends. I want to clarify, like, basically all of these flashback stories end with like a tiny little thing being like, oh, maybe something didn't happen. And, you know, it's just an on-the-nose thing I think Kevin Scott does because in almost all horror films, you know, you get the ending and then the last, like, 15 seconds often goes, whoop, hey, they might be alive, this person you killed or whatever. So I think there's a reason that Kevin Scott does it. I don't think that all of these beings are going to reappear. I mean, I might be wrong in because I haven't read Return to Vader's Castle or Ghosts of Vader's Castle. I presume they're all going to be original stories, but who knows, there might be some sequels. But yeah, then it gets back to the sort of ongoing continuous story of an air quotes today which shows that the story that was told to scritz try and calm him down didn't help unsurprisingly and then xmg3 appears he is a bit damaged but he seemed to take care of all of those stormtroopers and then it shows that bud has now disappeared he sneaked off and he basically finds this green artifact that he's intent on stealing and that's where number three ends 
So issue number four, the penultimate one, is called Night of the Gorax, and it's starring some Ewoks and things. It's set during or before zero BBY, so it's probably around the time of A New Hope, one would assume. The guest artist is Robert Hack, and the colour artist is Charlie Kirchhoff. So the story starts with Lena's crew being unable to find HUD. They see the artifact on the floor that Hub was trying to get, but obviously they weren't aware that he was trying to get this artifact, and so they decide to split up. So Lena goes with Crater, and then Skrit goes with the bodyguard droid XMG3, and XMG3 tells Skrit a story about courage, which takes place on the forest moon of Endor. So it starts off with two characters. One is called Chirper and the other one is called Ray Lee. And they're in some trees and Ray Lee says to Chirper to blow the horn. Now this issue has a lot of connections but all of it, or relatively all of it, is basically to Legends stuff and it's quite obscure Legends stuff as well. So obviously Ewoks and if anyone who's a bit of a Star Wars veteran will remember lots of the crazy and bizarre Ewok stuff that was in Legends. Uh, there's the Ewoks cartoon and then there's the two Ewoks movies as well. And Kevin Scott specifically said he wanted to make references to a lot of these things because obviously it's a part of a lot of people's childhood, you know, before the prequel era and any of that sort of stuff. Getting the Ewoks films was as close to a Star Wars sequel as you'd actually get at the time, aside from, you know, some of the crazy comics and then some of the books as well. So let's list through some of the references here already. So I already mentioned that the 84 movie Ewoks Caravan of Courage was mentioned, as well as the 1985 Ewoks cartoon was mentioned. So you get references to these things called Wisties, and they are actually in the canon. They are in Star Wars Battlefront 2. They're these strange glowing fairy things in essence. Some other mentions of things that were elsewhere. There's the Bora Horn, which is the thing that the horn they just blew in the story, which specifically calls the Bora, which is a boar wolf in essence. There's several boar wolves, and boar wolves are in these Ewoks comics and movies. I'm just going to say like in a generic thing of just old Ewoks content. So you've got the boar wolves are in the Ewoks content. You've got the Gorax itself, which will show up later, but that's also in these Ewoks content. You've then also got Chirper, who is in canon. He is the Elder in Return of the Jedi, but this takes place slightly before he becomes the Elder, and that will get explained. Everyone's favourite Ewok, or rather mine and Megan's favourite Ewok, Wicket, which is full name Wicket W. Warwick, is not in this comic. I think Kevin Scott wanted to, but Lucasfilm said, why don't you focus on some of the slightly lesser known Ewoks? So he went for Chirper, Raleigh, and a couple of others. Then there's also a character that appears in this called Logray, and Logray is the shaman of the tribe in Return of the Jedi. You'll be able to pick out Logray because he's a great Ewok. It's kind of in his name. Uh, but when you next watch Return of the Jedi, uh, look out for the chief who is called Chirper and look out for Logray who is the shaman. So those are just some of the references in this. This is just riddled with a reference to all the Ewok stuff. I'm not just going to sit here and list off every single one of them, but generally speaking, those are most of them. And then there's also a comment about Woklings, uh, which is the name for baby Ewoks, which is a very cute name. And I think that was also in the Ewoks other content as well. But yeah, so back to the story. Chirper blows the horn and then a boar wolf attacks. But they're in the trees and this boar wolf runs and basically destroys the tree that they're in. And as the tree starts to fall down, the Ewoks jump off and grab onto this boar wolf. They steer it into a trap pit, it falls in, and then they take the now dead boar wolf back to the village so it can feed the rest of their tribe. So they get to the village and it shows that the Wocklings have actually been stolen so all the babies have gone. They think that Dulocs have stolen them, which is like some sort of alien adversaries that also live on Endor that are kind of humanoid in a sense. The way they look in this comic, they look a little bit like the Grinch in a really weird way of describing them. But once again, they're in the other Ewoks content and stuff. But when they think it is the Dulocs, the shaman, who's called Makrit, tells the chief, who is Buzzer, to wait because... He says that it's probably not the Dulocs and things, and it seems that the Chief Buzzer is actually in some sort of trance. So Chirper and Raleigh speak to Logray, or Logray, who convinces them that it would be the Dulocs, said to let's go confront them. And at this moment, Logray is actually a shaman apprentice. So the little trio of Ewoks go and find the Dulocs, and they see some really big tracks nearby, which freaks them out a little bit, and then a singular Duloc attacks them, because the village is completely empty where all the Dulocs normally are, and Makrit then appears, and he uses something called the Sunstar to put Duloc in a trance. It's this magical rock thing on the end of a stick, is the Sunstar, because Makrit followed the trio of Ewoks there. 
The Dulok mentions a sacrifice, and then the Ewoks knock him out in return and then head to the foot of Mount Krala, which is what the Dulok mentioned. They find this really big Ewok Wicker Man style statue. So it's basically a giant Ewok that's like probably 50 foot tall, made out of wooden things. So they go up to it and they climb up this little ladder next to it and they see that there's loads of Woklings inside. So they open the door, they head on in, and then Makrit betrays them. He closes the door on them, locks them in, and says that he needed more sacrifices as opposed to just the Woklings to give to this being and that the son of the chief would be a perfect sacrifice. Then a giant Gorax appears. Now, this Gorax is absolutely colossal. It's one of the biggest things I think I've seen in all of Star Wars. So that Ewok Wicker Man thing I mentioned, which is like, you know, 50 foot high or something, the Gorax is like twice the height of that. I think it's like 100 foot tall. And the footprints that you saw in the comics before, they're probably about the size of like a minivan, I'd say, like a, a car or maybe a bus of some sort. Like that's the size of their footprint. So you can get a general idea of how big the creature is itself. So the Ewoks at a trap decide to blow the Bora horn that they've still got. And then a big old group of Borers slash Boar Wolves then charge into the area and destroy this wicker Ewok thing. When this happens, the Ewoks manage to grab hold of the Woklings and then jump onto the Boar Wolves and steer them back to the village. And the final panels of this little flashback shows that Makrit is there yelling, saying, what about the sacrifice? And then you see the Gorax's teeth go towards Makrit, and that is where it ends. Clearly, Makrit was the sacrifice. So it cuts to now, and it shows that XMG3 finds a guy called Vani, or Vane. Then Vader rips XM apart, and Script communicates to Lena via the comms, so she runs to assist, and then Vader slices Crater. So both the droids have seemingly been destroyed, and that is where comic number four ends. Now, Vanny or Vane, it's V-A-N-E-E, but the last E has got an accent on it, so I think it's Vane, is actually in Rogue One. You see him when Krennic goes to Vader's castle. You see this old man in like a hood and things walk up to Vader who's in the back to tank and say that Krennic has arrived. That guy is Vane. And if any of you guys have seen the Lego Terrifying Tales, which is on Disney Plus, Vane is also the main kind of antagonist, but the Lego Terrifying Tales is kind of a bit odd, but Vane is kind of the person who tells all these terrifying tales to them because he's just like randomly residing in Vader's fortress after Vader's gone. So you would recognize him somewhat, but there's several like old dudes that followed around Palpatine and Vader and kind of worshipped them and stuff. And I think that Vane was one who specifically worshipped Vader, whereas I think a lot of the other ones were more so towards Palpatine. But as I said, that is where issue number four ends. So let's move on to the final issue. So issue 5 is called The Terror of Darth Vader. It's all set basically in present day. There's like four pages of flashback, which I'll get to, but it's not confirmed explicitly when that is. The guest artist is Charles Paul Wilson III, and the guest colour artist is Michael DeVito. And just to reiterate here, Kevin Scott has written all of these, and Derek Charm is the artist and is also the colour artist for all of the non-flashback parts. So he, Derek Charm, is the main artist for issue number 5. So it starts with Skrit and Lena finding each other. Skrit is absolutely terrified, and then there's some statues behind them that sort of come alive. They pull out these weapons and aim them kind of at the duo, but they're like bladed staffs in a sense. Vane then appears and says that HUD is dead due to stealing stuff, and then it shows a little flashback to like a little while after the fortress was built, and it got attacked by some Mustafarians. They managed to get into the castle, they surround Vane and who is terrified, and then Vader appears and kills all of them. So I presume that's like set shortly after the end of the fortress Vader arc we saw, where obviously there was lots of Mustafarians who attacked, and it's mentioned that there are lots of clans on Mustafar, and although in the fortress Vader comics, a lot of the clans did get together. Together, Vader did not, you know, make the Mustafarians go extinct, so more continued to attack the castle. So that's the little flashback bit. It, it's very short. It looks very, very cool, but yeah, that's it. So it comes back to now, and it shows that Lena mentions facing Corda, Tarkin, and Renza the Hutt. Corda is someone who's in the Star Wars Adventures Tales from Wild Space, which is a lot of the other story that surrounds Lena. Tarkin, well, that's Governor Tarkin. His name is Will Huff Tarkin. Obviously, he's a very famous character in Star Wars, and I've mentioned him numerous times in the past. And then Renza the Hutt is someone who... I don't think they've actually appeared in any of the Star Wars comics, but they are mentioned numerous times in the Star Wars Adventure comics uh, by Jackson, the 
Rabbit, who's a character who was in Legends in like some of the 1977 original Star Wars comics. Yeah, like an anthropomorphic rabbit person. The species I think is Lepi or Lepi, L-E-P-I. And there's like a story where Jackson like betrays Lando to Renza the Hut and stuff. So Renza is just this bad hut. I mean, a few of the huts are good, but it's just another one of those that hasn't really appeared hugely in the canon, but has been referenced. So Lena hears Crater talking, turns around, and it shows that Darth Vader is holding Crater's torso and head that also has like one arm attached to it because Vader just sliced him diagonally. Lena shoots at Vader. Vader obviously deflects it quite easily and then throws Crater at Lena. Vader then picks up Lena with the Force, starts to, you know, crush her, I guess, or choke her, and then Crater manages with his one remaining arm to push Vanay into Vader, which breaks Vader's concentration for a moment, and in that, Lena and Skrit then run away. Lena then notes that those statues that came alive earlier seem to be droids, so she manages to reprogram them just before Vader comes around the corner, and those droids then attack Vader, and in the commotion they manage to run away. They get to the shipyard, and Lena tells Skrit to go get a ship, and she runs back because she needs to save Crater, because, as I said in the first issue, like, narrated by Lena, Crater's been like a friend of hers since she was a child, it was like a family droid that she's somewhat inherited. So she runs back to get Crater and Skrit is there, you know, worrying a bit, but then he remembers all the tales of bravery of, you know, Chewie and the Ewoks and a lot of the other characters in those stories, which, even though they were scared, pushed through it. So he pushes through, he finds one of those grubs on the floor, the lava sort of thing, uh, the little lava creature as an L-A-R-V-A, the little baby bug thingy, and he throws the grub at some troopers, and then that giant monstery thing attacks them, which is obviously from one of the earlier comics, and in that commotion, he manages to slip past. Meanwhile, Lena gets Crater's head, she rips it off his body, and then tries to escape. Vader calls her a fool for returning, and then grabs her with the force once again. Then, right near them, an explosion happens, and it shows that Skrit is now in an ATST, shooting the inside of the castle, causing a lot of damage and havoc, and once again in that distraction, Lena manages to slink away. Vader then goes to the shipyard where the ATST is and lifts it up with a force and then throws it into the lava. As it is slowly sinking, Skrit manages to escape out the hatch in the top and is just standing on this now sinking ATST in the lava. Lena manages to save him by flying a stolen TIE fighter to where he is and then he gets on board and then they flee, flying away. And the comic ends with quite a cool panel that shows Lena suspects that Vader may have actually allowed them to escape so that they could spread the fear and worry about Vader and his castle across the galaxy. And that, my friends, is where Tales from Vader's Castle ends. I want to do a little shout out to my friend Alex Hart. He's been on um, episodes of Genuine Chit Chat in the past. He's got a couple of Instagrams. One is at modern underscore day underscore exploration. Lots of cool nature photos and things. And he's got a couple of others. But if you go to that one, it'll you know link to some of the other ones too. Um, I want to shout him out because he actually bought me these comics uh, for Christmas, which was a very, very nice thing for him to do. I think it was Christmas or maybe it was my birthday. He bought them for me at some point in the last year, which I really appreciate because they are quite hard to get hold of unless you get like the trade paper collection of them and they're just a really fun enjoyable read you know horror references lots of cool stuff there and it's my first delving into idw publishing aside from the high republic adventures comics so thanks to you alex i hope you're listening to this because i'm going to send you the link once i finish recording and stuff and then you can hear all about them too so with that all in mind guys we move on to what is going to be coming up and what you can expect from me going forward So next week, episode 77, is going to be the next batch of the War of the Bounty Hunters crossover. This is going to be the fourth edition of them. You know, I'm going to go through all of the connected comics, you know, Aphra, Darth Vader, Star Wars, War of the Bounty Hunters, Bounty Hunters, and then also the one-off comic that goes with it. And I think this one is going to be Boosh, who is the bounty hunter that Leia disguises herself as to get into Jabba's palace. So I'm very excited about that one. And after the War of the Bounty Hunters batch number four, I am then going to be releasing my book review of The Rising Storm. I'm going to do what I normally do, which is, well, I've I've already recorded it, so I know what I've already done. I've done it into three little sections again. You know, the majority of the episode is a spoiler-free review of my thoughts on the ideas and themes and how I enjoyed it and whatnot. And then I do some light spoiler stuff and I give people plenty of warning. And then I give some much more spoilery stuff, but mainly just kind of broad strokes of the plot. I don't go into huge, huge detail about things but there is something that happens right at the end of Rising Storm, which I do mention, I believe, as well. So you got that to look forward to. 
And then the week after that, I'm going to be tackling the second volume of the Star Wars 2020 comics. So that's going to be issues 7 to 11, but I'm also going to tackle issue number 12, because from what I can see online, issues 7 to 11 makes up volume 2 of the 2020 run. It's called uh, Operation Starlight. There's also two issues within that that make up the mini story, The Will of Tarkin. But yeah, issue number 12, it's like a flashbacky sort of issue. Um, I will tackle that. There's not like a huge, huge amount of exciting story in it, but you know, it's worth a read and it's not in the War of the Bounty Hunters stuff. So, you know, I'm not going to skip over that. And that'll lead that into the War of the Bounty Hunter stuff, which will mean that in, you know, four or so weeks time, then that'll be the main run of Star Wars stuff finished. So I'll have done the Dr. Afro comics, as well as the Star Wars ones, all up to date with War of the Bounty Hunters. And then the week after that, I'm going to delve into the first batch of the Darth Vader 2020 run by Greg Pak. So I think there are two volumes of that that then lead into War of the Bounty Hunters. And they are very interesting. I think the first volume is really good. The second one is interesting. Shall we put it that way? It's quite bizarre, but you know, fun. Styles getting weird is nothing unusual, really. And then the week after that will be volume two of the Bounty Hunters comics, which should then run into the War of the Bounty Hunters comics as well. And then the week after that, I will then be on the finale of the War of the Bounty Hunters. And so once I finish the War of the Bounty Hunters, after that, you know, I'll figure out where I go from there. I think I'll probably tackle the Poe Dameron ongoing series. And then I may make a start on the High Republic stuff because once I finish the War of the Bounty Hunters stuff, then aside from one volume of the Darth Vader 2020 stuff, it will mean that I'm completely up to date with all of the ongoing series of Star Wars. So that'll give me space to be able to do the Poe Dameron comics. That'll give me space to do some of the High Republic comics. I imagine I'll do the main run of High Republic first, because I think there's two volumes of that out at the moment. Then I'll move on to the High Republic adventures. And then it will also give me ample time to do miniseries because there's the miniseries the monster of temple peak which is the Ty yorick origin story-esque thing which is the thlothian character from the rising storm in addition to that i'll be able to do there's a crimson rain which is starting which is kind of like his own spiritual successor to war of the bounty hunters about kira then there's also several other miniseries that are popping up there's trail of shadows which is like a noir miniseries there's going to be in january the eye of the storm which is going to be a marquion row like two issue origin story sort of thing there's a life day comic coming up there's a couple of annuals there's the high republic adventures annual there's going to be something called like the great galaxy bake-off no the galactic bake-off and it's like a one shot with a character called buckets of blood that's in the high republic stuff and it's like a baking competition i only found that out like literally like last night so i pre-ordered that and i'm quite excited to see what that's all about then there's also going to be the halcyon legacy comics as well which are a mini series about the galactic star cruiser stuff and obviously there's going to be plenty more book reviews because i will be doing the race to crash point tower book review probably before christmas and then if i can re read out of the shadows before christmas which now that we're near the end of October I am trying but obviously I've got a lot of other things to do so I will probably try and get that done but that might not be out till January and then January we get the next wave of the High Republic stuff which is going to be wave three the end of phase one and there's going to be the adult novel for that and then the junior novel for that and then I think in February then the young adult novel for that will come out so lots of stuff there kind of is the lead up to 2022 and then we'll see what happens in 2022 as i said it'll be you know the high republic comics i'm going to be tackling i'll be continuing with the mini series and from what i can tell it looks like most mini series will be finishing like months after each other so it'll be like the finale of monster of temple peak i think is either november or december and then i think january is the end of the trail of shadows and then i think the Marquion Row, I can't remember if both issues are coming out in January or if it's going to be one in January, then one in February. Uh, and then there's also, as I said before, there's like two sequel series to this, The Tales of Vader's Castle and Return to Vader's Castle and Ghosts of Vader's Castle. There's a lot of other IDW stuff that I haven't tackled. There's like, there's some Clone Wars era comics. There's this one called The Smuggler's Run. There's one called Weapon of the Jedi, which is about Luke Skywalker. So there's quite a few of those little bits and pieces floating around, which are not quite as intriguing to me as most of the, the air quotes adult canon comics. But I will endeavor to tackle all of those as well. And then we'll see where we are. Um, because I know, I know there's quite a lot of High Republic Adventures comics that I haven't read, but I know a lot of them are anthology. So it's just like, you know five issues each can be their own individual stories which is fine but they take a long time to write about because you you can't just 
start the story and then after you've said all the personnel and the crawl and that stuff you can't really just keep it all going you have to keep stopping and saying who all the people are involved etc introduce the characters go through that do normally a story that doesn't usually have that much substance but often has a lot of connections and then do the next one so we'll see how that all goes and we'll see what other stuff gets announced because at the moment there's also you know the ongoing series of afra vader bounty hunters and main runner star wars once the war of the bounty hunters stuff has ended they're all going to have their own arcs and stories again and normally between four and six issues is when a volume ends so i think they're all continuing sort of november december time so probably by like april may ish time a lot of them will have finished their first arcs so that'll keep me busy as well so there's lots of things coming up and lots of stuff to get excited about there and it's worth mentioning as well my other show, Genuine Chit Chat. If you're already listening on YouTube, then look around on my other videos. You will see the Genuine Chit Chat stuff. Some have got videos, some do not. And if you're listening on the feed of Comics in Motion on a podcast app or whatever, then just type in Genuine Chit Chat wherever you're listening and you'll be able to find my show. And I basically have a conversation with a different person relatively every episode. So some of them are split into two, but a lot of them are just like one-off hour-long things. I've got a conversation coming up with Paolo Villanelli. I've already recorded it and whatnot. I'm going to be releasing that, I think, in a week or so. Um, so he is one of the artists for some Star Wars comics. He does the artwork for the Lando Double or Nothing miniseries, which I tackled quite a while ago. He he also does the artwork for the Bounty Hunters ongoing series at the moment. So we had a really good conversation there about some of the behind the scenes stuff, about being an artist for comics, some things that people may or may not know. We talk about like penciling and inking and how the sort of the communication goes with the writer and then the artist and the color artist and that sort of thing. So it's a really, really interesting conversation about behind the scenes stuff when it comes to what life is like as a comic artist. So very, very excited to release that one. Uh, I've had other conversations with people to do with Star Wars. I spoke with the author Claudia Gray in December 2020. Um, a few weeks ago, maybe it was a month or so ago now, I spoke to Alex and Molly of Star Wars Explained, which is a very big YouTube channel. Uh, check those out if you haven't already. I've got plans to speak with Ben of the Star Wars Timeline podcast, and in the description there are links to the episodes I've done on his channel. It's all on YouTube, and there's videos and stuff for that. And he's he's got a really, really cool channel as well with Star Wars content, so make sure you check that out too. Uh, there's also stuff in the description of other stuff I've done. Um, there's a few comics and motion things that are coming up there's the visions conversation that myself and megan had with jack and Rhea, who are both also on the comics and motion feed we spoke about all nine episodes of the anthology star wars visions which is the anime stuff on disney plus so that was a really cool conversation lots of different opinions there that was a lot of fun i'll be releasing that on the feed of comics and motion and on my youtube channel soon i haven't exactly figured out when i'm going to do that but it will be soon so i'll make sure i include links to that in the description when that is out and stuff it may not be till future episodes but just make sure you subscribe to comics and motion and genuine chit chat and also if any of you guys, especially listening all the way to the end, thank you. But if you can go over to my um, YouTube channel, Genuine Chit Chat, if you could subscribe to that, it would mean the absolute world to me because I'm nearing 100 subscribers. And once you get that, you can then change the link to the channel from youtube.com slash and then like 100 letters of gobbledygook to whatever you want it to be. And obviously I'd have it as slash Genuine Chit Chat. So if you could do me a solid, please go and do that. If you want to contribute to the show even more than subscribing to my YouTube show, uh, then please consider checking out my Patreon, patreon.com slash genuine chit chat link to that is in the description for as little as one pound a month which i think is less than two dollars for you american listeners uh, you get access to an audio feed which has loads of additional content on there at the moment there's like hours and hours and hours of content because we've been doing it now for like seven months or so we release an episode of afterthoughts every week they're normally between 10 and 20 minutes long me and megan review tv shows and movies and all kinds of stuff we do older movies with spoilers we do newer movies that are spoiler free uh, we recently watched venom let there be carnage so i think we're going to be doing one of those soon uh, we've got a few other films on the list we're going to be watching too and other stuff that we've watched that we need to record and also you get access to book reviews early on there as well as whenever i split an episode of genuine chit chat into two everyone on patreon gets access to both parts unsplit in one episode so if you want to support the show and you want loads of additional content as well make sure you check out patreon.com slash genuine chit chat but aside from that, guys, there's not really much else to add here. Aside from if you're listening on Comics in Motion, make sure you check out the other shows on the feed because it's excellent. Make sure you subscribe. There's a new show on there called Femon Film that on Genuine Chit Chat, myself, Megan and Tonya Todd spoke to Rhea, who is 
the host and creator of Film on Film. So loads of great things to sink your teeth into. And make sure you follow me on social media at Genuine Chit Chat. We can be kept up to date with all of my goings on and guest spots I do and all kinds of other stuff on there. And I do photos of the Star Wars comics on here. Uh, I also do snippets of some of the episodes I do with Genuine Chit Chat. I don't I said some of the episodes. Every episode I release a Genuine Chit Chat, I do a snippet. So it's like 30 seconds to a minute long of my guest talking uh, just to give you kind of insight into what you can expect from that interview. Because I keep saying interview, I mean conversation. Because, you know, every conversation is different and not everyone is going to appeal to everyone. But I think they're all golden anyway. But yeah, guys, that is enough from me. Thank you, as always, for listening. Please make sure you subscribe, you share with your friends, you rate on Good Pods and Podmatch and Apple Podcasts and anywhere that you can. And spread the word of Star Wars Comics and Canon and also genuine chit chat to everyone and anyone and so i'll talk to you guys next week with the war of the bounty hunters um fourth batch and as always guys thank you so much for listening and may the force be with you The intro for Star Wars Comics and Canon is arranged by myself, Mike Burton, and the backing music was made by Eric Matias of soundimage.org. You have just experienced host, creator, everything else of genuine chit-chat, and also the host and creator of Star Wars Comics and Canon, found on the Comics in Motion podcast, Mike Burton. Honest conversations with interesting people. Hi, I'm Mike from the Genuine Chit Chat Podcast, and I talk to a wide variety of guests across an eclectic range of interesting topics. People I've spoken to include a magister from the Church of Satan, a blind Australian filmmaker, a puppeteer from Labyrinth and Dark Crystal, and I also speak to musicians of all kinds of genres, authors, actors, podcasters. Really, there is no limit to who I speak to, and the subject matter is endless. So if you believe in the art of conversation and want to hear different people talking about their passions, then this is the perfect show for you. You can find Genuine Chit Chat anywhere you listen to podcasts, and there's some video versions on YouTube, so there's no reason not to tune in.